The University of Louisville empowers students with over 50 fully online degrees and certificates in areas like business, public health, social work, engineering, and more. Flexible coursework allows time to focus on all of life's priorities. Learn more at louisville.edu slash online. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning. And the University of Louisville's Delphi Center for Teaching and Learning. I'm Tom Cavanaugh. And I am Kelvin Thompson. And you are listening to TopCast, Teaching Online Podcast, or potentially watching. Or potentially reading. Or reading, yeah, that's true. Our awesome team here at CDL um, does put together the uh, the transcripts. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could be reading it. So if, if we're just coming to you through the written word, imagine warm tones in these <laughs> words that you're reading. Yeah, or if anybody happens to be, you know, translating this into semaphore or interpretive dance or something, you know, let us know because we'll, we'll add that to the show notes. <laughs> That's right. We're all about access. <laughs> That's right, in all forms. Yeah. All right, Kelvin. Um, I see you sipping there. Oh, my gosh. That is a mug. Uh, that's a throwback. So what is in your thermos today? So for the listening audience who may not be watching, Kelvin's got a WebCT mug. That's a deep cut right there. It is. It is. I, I thought it was appropriate for today. Uh, it's not my oldest mug in the collection, but it, it's uh, in our circles. Uh, people grasp the datedness of it rather, rather quickly. Uh, but my coffee today, Tom, in my mug is also a callback to the past. We have personally shared it previously in person. Um, it is a single origin El Salvador, uh, La Siberia. I might have said La Siberia from Beacon Coffee in Camarillo, California. We drank it previously three years ago uh, in the show that aired in uh, January of 2020. Uh, so I, I might have mentioned this at some point in the past. I won't get into it a lot. But I, uh, I got some maybe what was good information several years ago about like if you have an abundance of coffee you know, there's people who put coffee in the freezer, then there's people who know enough not to put coffee in the freezer. Then apparently there's people who say, well, you could, you could put coffee in the freezer if you did it in this way, which is what I've been doing when I have an abundance. So this is coffee from the freezer. And uh, it is surprisingly good given its age. And I've shared it with a colleague and she also, I gave her the warning, I'm like now, <laughs> This old coffee. She said, no, this is actually good. I'm like, okay, there you go. So that's the coffee. How do you find the connection to today's topic? Um, well, I'm, I'm not sure I'm finding a connection to the coffee, but I'm finding a connection to your mug, potentially. <laughs> the technology <laughs> aspect of the mug. That's um, right. That's so, right. I don't know. Maybe maybe elucidate me on what you're thinking yes. as far as the coffee connection. Oh, I threw in the mug for bonus just for that reason. Um, callbacks to the past and pros and cons, you know, positive uh, benefit of something like uh, your, you know, freezer coffee tactic. But, might, you know, people might be questionable and, and it might not work. Right. So that was my that was my shot at it. 
Okay. I think I get it. So um, we're, we're going to be talking about kind of pros and cons, more cons today of, of certain kinds of assistive uh, ed tech solutions. Um, I get it. I think I get that connection. So um, you want me to kind of talk about, you know, how this connects to some previous yeah. podcast episodes that we've done. So mm-hmm. um, as you've helpfully noted in our, our prep notes here, <laughs> in, in the past, um, we've, we've talked about different kinds of technology tools that bring different kinds of automation to the work that we do in digital teaching and learning. And so, for instance, here are just a couple episodes if you wanted to kind of check those out. Different aspects. I don't think these are repetitive. Mm-hmm. Episode 81 was technology adoption as enabling, quote, the right thing. Um, and um, we talked a lot about proctoring in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Episode 117, online discussion enhancement tools. Episode 119, chatbots in online education. And then a fairly recent one, episode mm-hmm. 131, everyone's favorite subject, chat GPT, friend or foe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tool, can be used for good or ill, right? Um, That's right. That's so we'll right. put some links in the show notes for that. Um, but you want to, you want to kind of explain how we're going to evolve from those previous conversations into something maybe a little bit different. Yeah, today we thought we'd maybe zoom in on uh, discussing the potential of unintended negative consequences of these kinds of technological automations within digital teaching and learning. In fact, back in one of those episodes that Tom just mentioned, episode 119 about chatbots, we quoted Dr. Yuta Trevoranis from uh, Ontario College of Art and Design University, who was the recipient of the 2022 Women in AI Award, as saying on a call that I had had as a, a, a board where we were both present, she said, disability can be defined as a divergence from the average. More automated approaches tend to amplify the average with the implication that that could then disadvantage folks who are on the more of the trailing edge of the bell curve, so to speak. So in that episode, we also then noted the greatest good for the greatest number is an understandable principle that is a hallmark of our digital teaching and learning work, but we got to guard against the systematic exclusion of any human differences as we carry out our work. And that's kind of really the direction we want to explore in looking at the potential unintended negative consequences of automations within digital learning. And there's all kinds of automations. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, there's an awful lot of talk about chat GPT, and mm-hmm. um, I've read an awful lot about sort of bias built in there, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of perspective, lack of, just the, the data set it's pulling from is limited, um, political bias I've read about in chat GPT. So there's like all kinds of bias that's in there. Yeah. Um, and so in the work that we do with students, how do we ensure that, you um, we are doing the greatest good for the greatest number, but we're not, you know, leaving behind the individuals who might be sort of a couple of standard deviations off that mean. Yeah, we've been, I I think, I I hope, I hope this comes through as as a theme. It sure feels like it has been when we talk about things anywhere close to this, and maybe even in online teaching and learning in general, Tom, I, I feel like we've tried to lean into the human, right? That this is not about we even joked about in that uh, chat GPT episode, right? You could have your like the, the 
discussion forum created by generative AI and had feedback given by generative AI, you know, yeah. and, and like how horrible and dystopian that would be. But we, we want to <laughs> lean into human affordances, right? Right. We just get our popcorn and watch the machines talk to each other, I guess. <laughs> That's yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's right. And, you know, back in that, um, one of those episodes that you mentioned, episode 81, um, you know, I, I threw in something there. I went back and looked. One way of examining critically the tools available to us as online learning leaders is to consider what right thing those tools enable or prevent. So part of our job is to identify and promote right things from both a strategic and a moral perspective. And so that's just the flip side, right? What we're talking about today is just the flip side of, of the uh, ups of the benefits. We're looking at how do you mitigate the negatives. Yeah, it, it sort of puts me in mind of something that that you know we've worked on here when it comes to kind of our learning analytics initiatives, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, and I even think back to the to the work we funded for a senior researcher from our data mining institute to kind of look for patterns and create a predictive model so that we could anticipate the students who might need extra supports, supplemental instruction, right. whatever it might be. And um, at the end of the day, and we've talked, I think I've talked about this in the past on this podcast, but um, what, what he found was that the, um, the biggest predictor of success was, was actual performance. So it was like GPA was a predictor mm -hmm. of success. How you performed on graded activities in the course was a predictor of, of success. And what was a, a less strong predictor, and in some cases not a predictor at all, were things like ethnicity, socioeconomic status, transfer versus first time in college, you know, gender, all of that, even number of logins. I mean, none of it was all based on actual performance, which was somewhat reassuring to me because I've been part of groups like a commission, a committee here that was commissioned by the provost at one point to talk about the ethical use of student data. Yeah. And it was run by our institutional research uh, office or chaired by them. Mm -hmm. And we, we talked about things like we want to help students. And we know that students from mm -hmm. lower socioeconomic backgrounds tend to come in less prepared or struggle. Mm -hmm. So let's help them by putting in predictive kinds of solutions, but you're making assumptions mm -hmm. that are based on a bias mm -hmm. before the student even has a chance to show you what they can do. And mm -hmm. it could potentially be be detrimental to some students if you're just not if you're not really careful. You don't want to make assumptions or profile students based on some ethnic or demographic or you know, socioeconomic um, characteristic, you want to judge them based on what they did. So I was gratified by that, mm -hmm. that research that was resulting. But it's a, you know, it's a snarly thing is, I'll use a Kelvinism, um, because um, you want to help, mm -hmm. but you also want to be really careful about how that data could potentially be misused intentionally or not. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that's, a, I think that's well said, right? So the fact that that um, researcher went looking to see, right? I mean, so, okay, here's what we found, but we went looking because there's hypothetically vulnerable subpopulations, so let's see if, they're, if they've been disadvantaged. And, and that's true, I think, even back in the early days at UCF with uh, Dr. Chuck Jubin, Dr. Patsy Moskal, early on in that impact evaluation work for distributed learning, uh, are any um, student 
vulnerable student subpopulations disadvantaged by online courses, let's say, and and indeed no, and and since then, and you know, subsequent years, we've seen through um, publications from like our colleague Dr. Tanya Justin and others, we see that there are benefits quite often uh, to intentional design as enacted in online courses for everybody, but especially um, folks who come in maybe underprepared or from uh, those vulnerable subpopulations. They got built-in scaffolding. But I think you're right. Don't just assume and um, and do no harm. Um, here's, here's a, you mentioned um, like online proctoring and some of the documented uh, uh, now you mentioned, I think you mentioned generative AI and some of the documented uh, bias there. Uh, there. There are some studies that I've seen. There's one that came out of a, a research group here at U, U of L um, with automated proctoring and some built-in bias there. We'll put a link in the show notes. But even things like, you were talking about analytics, like the almost embedded kind of analytics inside of our tools that kind of give us transparency as instructors about well, what's going on, summarizing, right? Um, there's, a, there's an Oxford University affiliated research group that has a line of inquiry around the ethics of algorithms that's worth exploring. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll throw that in the show notes. And to that point, just yesterday, I kid you not, we have a faculty professional development cohort going on right now here. And I, I saw like a one of those facilitative messages from one of our team members, program manager Robin Zarnd here, who was just so transparent uh, modeling the thoughtful use of that kind of uh, embedded stuff. I'll just give you a taste of it. You know, she says, um, you know, this the LMS uses some AI algorithms, and while this information is helpful, I want to point out that language-based AI algorithms can present some equity concern, especially for English language learners and students who are not familiar with traditional academic speak. And so she's very transparent about what's available and what she's doing with it. And I thought, well, that's helpful, right? You can kind of, it kind of pops the hood metaphorically uh, for the faculty who are um, coming into this experience about um, the support of teaching through these digital tools and modeling that, right? Nobody wants to be othered. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's interesting, especially as we look at you know, AI and generative AI is not going away. Right. And um, I think you and I are both of the philosophy that lean into it, uh, teach students how to use it effectively because it's mm -hmm. going to be part of their professional workspace in the in mm -hmm. going forward. Um, and so you know, there's this whole new profession of prompt engineering. And apparently it's mm -hmm. highly paid because if you can save some yeah. corporation, you know, yeah. several millions of dollars a quarter, then you're worth several hundred thousand dollars a year to just figure out how to prompt the AI to maximize efficiency. But if you're not an English, a native English language speaker, you know, tuning that prompt it, 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 and being able to, you know, extract all the possible efficiency that you can out of those, those AI, you know, whatever the results might be, it's going to be really hard. So I can see that. That's interesting. Um, you, know, you mentioned proctoring, and, mm -hmm. and that might be, we might as well go there, right? Because that that is the area where there is so much, just get on Twitter and start like hashtag mm -hmm. proctoring or something and look at the discussions. There is an awful lot of hatred <laughs> for mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. online proctoring tools, especially those that are automated, um, because 
in the past, as the technology has evolved, there have been some really, you know, unsavory sorts of results. I'm not saying any of it was intentional, but mm -hmm. just because the technology wasn't up to speed yet. So like, for example, there have been things where people with darker skin were mm -hmm. unable to be recognized properly mm -hmm. by the, by the vid video algorithms. That's not good, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and um, how do you, how do you mitigate um, just a normal, um, you know, somebody looking off screen or scratching their head or something, and then now suddenly they're flagged for potential cheating. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's not cool, and it creates such mm -hmm. test anxiety for some students that mm -hmm. um, that they can be even debilitating. I know for some. Mm -hmm. So those those that's an area that I think um, we're going to have to get our arms around. Uh, I don't think online proctoring is going away. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we? as you know, as I think you said, mitigate some of these issues mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. to ensure that it's being used ethically and effectively. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, you talked about prompt tuning, prompt engineering, whatever. I, I think one commonality to all of these uh, kind of automated, maybe we could even say algorithm-based or algorithm-influenced kind of tools uh, is the training, right? The the what's the basis, right? And this is back to um, Dr. Yuta Trevoranis's quote that I shared, right? That we tend to look at kind of the average or whatever, and then deviations uh, are, are left out. So how do we how do we widen, you know, the scope of like the training inventory database, mm -hmm. whatever? Um, so that we don't have that, like this uh, this research group here that did the study about um, uh, online proctoring, like they included recommendations, practical ones like you know you should have be dialed in, have better lighting, right, um, for instance. But then it also there were recommendations back to the designers uh, to widen the scope of of their training population, if, if you will. And yes, that study here, it was actually interesting. It was both darker skin tones and the intersection of that um, uh, with people who were um, uh, female students uh, and dark skinned were even more disadvantaged than mm -hmm. darker skinned male students. So weird stuff, right? It was very, yeah. it was a very detailed study. It was really very interesting. That's but amazing. Was it isolated to a particular platform or was it sort of across multiple proctoring platforms? They, they zoomed in on one platform uh, at use um, at this university at the, at the time. Um, but again, you know, then you, you run across similar reports with others. So it's, it's just tough to attend to. And I think that's maybe a principle, right? And I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, transparency, right? Just be like, how does this all work, right? And, and then how do we see how we're doing? And, and if we're surfacing issues, then we've got to be able to address those issues. Yeah, well, you know, algorithms are written by humans, and yeah. humans have flaws and biases, and yeah. even in t unintentional, um, you know, consequences come that it were, it's not something anybody wanted to happen. It's not an, an online learning or even an educational example, but the the one that I've heard about in the past when it comes to, like, sort of self-driving cars is that you know, some of the early... Um, technology, the video in those cars that, and the radar and everything that recognizes objects and directs the cars, 
um, didn't recognize people with darker skin as, Mm -hmm. you know, a human walking across the road. Well, you know, that's bad. (laughs) Not Mm -hmm. only is it bad sort of from an ethical, just optics. Again, it's not, it wasn't intentional, I'm sure, but it just, it was bad. It needed to be fixed, but it's also potentially life-threatening, right? So that's super bad, right? Super bad. Yeah. So, you know, that's just a really extreme example. Um, But we are talking about people's sort of educational lives here. Mm -hmm. And so like, how can we ensure that that we have the same sort of safeguards built in that, um, that we're not leaving behind sort of how you began? And the the individuals in the service of the many. Yeah, and you know, what we've been really talking about today is like these inadvertent uh, systematic uh, problems, like built in. But of course, maybe we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge, because I think part of what you said there kind of takes me this way, ill-informed use right of of these tools as well like just this morning on twitter you know i kind of collect various uh tweets and tweet threads related to like generative ai like there's a lot of faculty doing really i think creative thoughtful things you know and i'm like oh let's collect that and share that out when i run across colleagues but then sometimes i collect the opposite of that and uh i'm sure it's going to be in the news if it's not already a, uh, a faculty member, uh, I won't, uh, I won't beat up on their um, their university, but a faculty member, perhaps ill-informed, took student work, as he said, ran it through ChatGPT, and ChatGPT said, "Yeah, I wrote this," and so he, like he failed a group of students, kept them from graduating, and I then. Yeah. A lot of folks have then taken like his email, ran that through, ran that through ChatGPT. Yeah. It says, yeah, I wrote that too. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Ill-informed. I, Chuck Ill-informed. Jubin and I have done some some stuff where we we put ourselves in. Like, tell me everything, tell me top 10 Chuck Jubin quotes yeah. or what mm. he's like, Tom, <laughs> Tom, you have to put top 10 Tom Cavanaugh quotes in. So I've, do, I've done that just as, as a goof. Um, and... ChatGPT is a dirty, dirty liar. In my experience, it's true. So like, you know, some people know that I have a kind of a sideline hobby of writing novels. And I -hmm. I ask ChatGPT, who wrote these novels? And I list the novels that I've written with the publication dates and the publishers. And it comes back and it says, uh, Michael Connolly wrote those novels. I'm like, well, no. I wish I was Michael Connolly in my mystery career, but no. And then I'm like, and I say, no, that's incorrect. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Robert Crace wrote those notes. I'm like, no. And it's there's just like a, there's a John Lovett skit in there somewhere. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. My girlfriend, Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Fairchild. Oh that's my gosh. That's even funnier. That is that's even funnier. That's even better. That's exactly what ChatGPT would say. ChatGPT would just lie about it. And it lies with, with like absolute confidence. Yes. Morgan Freeman, where did that come from? That is so funny. Um, but all of that to say that that is a really bad practice, what that faculty member did, because ChatGPT isn't going to tell you if it wrote it. No. It'll tell you no. what you want to hear. Yes. And there are tools, and we talked about that in that episode, that will give you sort of a percentage of like how likely was this thing written by a by a you know a bot. But that's not what ChatGPT will do. So I think that is a really um, 
a bad practice, <laughs> if I no can be so kidding. judgmental, yeah, um, yeah. and and not a good use of AI technology, and certainly harmful for students. Yeah, do no harm, right? Do no harm. I remember years ago, you know, like we've had primitive, rough-hewn kinds of. I don't even know that I really want to call them data, you know, like information, uh, something in the LMS for decades, right? And I remember working with some faculty colleagues like, oh, it'll tell me if the students have, have, have logged in or if they've read this thing. Yeah, don't, don't trust that. Don't base, I mean, look at it if you want, right? But don't base grades on that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't take some indication uh, you know in a on a dashboard especially back then and and make any kind of interpretations that are going to negatively affect students with it no 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 um by the way here's a bonus one you mentioned the uh generative ai detection tools ran across we'll throw it in a we'll throw it in the show notes pre-publication study those tools disadvantage non-native English speakers, right? So there are traits in the writing of non-English English speaker, non-native English speakers that give two, more false positives that like, oh yeah, this was generative AI. Yeah, I've also heard several anecdotes, even from faculty member here, that um, they put an old paper that they wrote, an old chapter, an old journal article or something into one of these detecting tools and uh it, it comes back oh yeah this was written by a, a bot and clearly it was not it was written 10 years ago by a faculty member for some academic journal so it, those are not 100 percent reliable um and got to be careful in the accusations you're you're leveling at students um based on some of those reports you know the, the technology probably will improve but so will the ai uh the generative mm -hmm. ai mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so Anyway, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new frontier, and just like any new technology, I think we, we're going to have to make sure that we balance the, the ethical use of it um, along with the, the kind of blue sky opportunity that, that is in front of us, um, kind of keep ourselves grounded a little bit while we, while we continue to try to take maximum advantage of, of, these, of these tools. Yeah, I think that's right. Maybe two quick... Um... Uh, additional shout outs as we begin to think about wrapping up. One, um, our dearly beloved uh, producer Tim uh, shared with uh, each of us this New Yorker piece, which I thought was uh, quite thoughtful um, about AI. And there, I think a big idea is um, we can sometimes look at these tools very naively, uh, almost like magic. Right there, the the author of that article um, kind of talked about like genies or you know it's like magic, and that's dumb. Uh, you know we have to kind of understand a little bit about what's going on. And as you said, you know the the the, the technical uh, euphemism these days is hallucinations of the generative AI uh, writing tools, right? Because all they're doing. I try to ground myself in this. You know, we've been for several years, you're typing something and you go, I hope this note finds you well, right? Because it's, it's, it's anticipating what you're gonna write next. You're like, don't help me, right? But sometimes you go, all right, fine, help me. That's all this is doing. So it, it doesn't know anything. 
you know, and with the exception of, of like connecting generative writing AI to like active web data like uh, Bing, you know, integrated with uh, GPT-4 or something, it doesn't know anything. It doesn't have access to anything other than just what you're typing in there. It's just really good at predicting what you, what it think, what, what the algorithm is anticipating you're going to write next. That's all right. it's really doing. Yeah. It's just it's helpful, right? But so you have to understand that to know it isn't magic, right? Run it through ChatGPT isn't doing anything. <laughs> it's not making any kind of determination, really. No, uh, and the thing that just uh, you know, I'll I said it before, but I'll just underscore it that I mean. So hallucinate is a fun word. I call it lie. Um, I, know, so, I, know, I know. So chat GPT will not just lie, but lie with just such bold confidence <laughs> that that it, it's almost compelling and endearing. And it's just, oh. you know, complete, you know, lack of any sort of credibility. <laughs> Well, we're just anthropomorphizing the heck out of this whole we class are, aren't of technologies. We? Yeah. That's right. Um, the other shout out is uh, when we listed these past episodes that we're doing callbacks to, I, I neglected one, and that was back in episode 46, uh, empowering humans through learning analytics. And I, what makes that come to mind is we pulled together some resources back then uh, about the thoughtful use of data and analytics. Like there was this, uh, I think you knew uh, something more about this than I did at the time, like the Asilomar convenings and, and so forth. There were some of that stuff useful to go back and look at and, and frame our use and understanding of these automated tools, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was actually a really good discussion um, with a lot of really, um, I thought, thoughtful people across the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, you want to land the plane? I will try to line it up and get it on the ground. So we might say that um, a key aspect of what we call digital teaching and learning is the use of technology tools to support effective teaching and learning. However, usage of these tools without understanding and mitigating the potential unintended negative consequences is there's a lot of words that we could, you know, generative AI could anticipate what I might write next. You can fill in the blank. What, what is it? You know, doing this stuff without understanding and mitigating is, we'll just leave it at unwise. It's unwise. It is unwise. Yes, I think I think that's fair. We need to uh, we need to keep all that in mind as we go forward. Awesome. Well, a very thoughtful conversation, and probably one we may revisit in the future as technology continues to advance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Kelvin, until next time, for Topcast, I'm Tom. I'm Kelvin. See ya.